It was the first time I ever uh, accompanied a person that had survived Ebola uh, outside of the confirmed war to, you know, back, I guess, to the open world, I would say. Um, yeah, that to me was probably one of the most rewarding days at work. Hi and welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. This is the podcast where all aspects of working in the global impact sector are discussed. My name is Helen Rask and I will be the host in this podcast. In this third episode, we will meet Jamie Castaneda, who is the Global Emergency Specialist at the Danish Refugee Council. Jamie will let us know what an emergency specialist is doing, what it's like to work in the front line, and most importantly, why he became an aid worker in the first place. So, let's get started. Today I'm very honored and happy to have Jamie Castaneda, who is the Global Emergency Specialist at the Danish Refugee Council. Jamie, welcome to the podcast, Making an Impact. Thanks, Helen. Uh, glad to be here. As your position is roving, I would like to start by asking, where are you actually at the moment geographically and what are you doing? Um, so I'm currently in Cameroon in the southwest region um, in a town called Boya. Um, we have been deployed here to start up uh, emergency operations for the Danish Refugee Council um, in response to the current crisis in the southwest and northwest regions of the country. And what does that mean in your responsibilities? What are your tasks? Um, basically everything. Um, we were There was only two of us deployed last year in October, uh, which meant that we had to do everything, uh, including logistics, administration, finance, human resources, um, operations, uh, try to come up with a strategy uh, to best respond to the needs we identified, Uh, so it's been a pretty hectic schedule. Uh, we were only two of us for about a month, and then we've got some other team members who were deployed to help us out. Uh, so there's currently five of us here now. And maybe for those who don't know, what is the emergency actually about? Um, so starting in 2016, there have been some tensions between the northwest and southwest regions, which are both english-speaking regions in the country um, there were some claims uh, requests made by some of the people uh, mainly teachers and lawyers in these two anglophone speaking areas uh, and unfortunately there there's been you know tensions between them and the government uh, and it has degenerated into armed conflict Uh, so currently we have uh, several different uh, armed groups in these uh, two areas uh, facing off against the state armed forces, uh, which is currently creating uh, a lot of displacement within these two regions. Uh, and this is what we're trying to address, um, I guess, assistance to the civilian populations uh, affected by the conflict. And what is your uh, job as the global emergency specialist what are you doing in general um so in the 
emergency response team uh, for the Danish Refugee Council, which I am part of, uh, we are currently 10. Uh, we have specialists in different uh, domains, such as uh, support services, which include uh, logistics, finance, human resources. Uh, and then we have sector specialists, which include protection. They include water, sanitation, hygiene, shelter. And then we have uh, what we call team leaders. Um, I am currently the team leader for the emergency team here in in the southwest region, um, which means that I'm overall responsible for all of the activities uh, of the Danish Refugee Council here. Um, I have to do a lot of representation with uh, local authorities, local NGOs, um, different agencies from the United Nations, uh, donors. Uh, and I am supporting the team of other global emergency specialists that we have here, uh, basically uh, in decision making, trying to define our strategy and seeing how best we can we can put things in place. And what have you done in your latest missions? As I understand, you are roving. Yes. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I was deployed to Bangladesh um, in response to the uh, um, Rohingya refugee crisis. Um, I participated in setting up uh, the new country operation because it's a new operation for the Danish Refugee Council. Uh, and I was specifically in charge of designing the emergency preparedness and response plan for the upcoming cyclone season. Um, so basically, I had a team of engineers uh, who were working in the largest refugee camp in the world, uh, you know, trying to set up bridges, trying to set up soil retention walls, trying to set up pathways. Um, identifying safe evacuation areas uh, in case of a strong cyclone and therefore landslides and flooding. Uh, then after that, I was deployed to Yemen to implement uh, DRC's emergency response activities uh, to all the displaced people uh, fleeing Al-Hadeida, which is on the west coast of the country. Um, and uh, it was being, I guess, um, besieged by the Saudi and Emirati coalition forces. Um, and this included mainly the distribution of non-food items and water sanitation and hygiene activities. Uh, and now I'm here in Cameroon. I've been here since October and should be here until April. What it's like to be roving? Um, it's... Uh, both exciting and challenging, um, both professionally and personally. Um, I think professionally it allows me to work in various different contexts, which is extremely interesting. Um, however, the fact that we are constantly being deployed from one country to another um, requires all of us to adapt to new contexts extremely quickly. Uh, and it requires enormous flexibility and it's a work style that is not suitable for everybody. Um, in my opinion. Uh, and then I guess personally, it is very rewarding. Um, but then again, it entails a lot of sacrifices. Uh, being roving means that I can't be with my fiance for periods of up to three months at a time. Um, it also means not being able to really establish new friendships in these countries we are being deployed to due to the short amount of time we are spending in, in a given country. 
Um, and although to some people three months may seem like a long time, um, it is actually extremely short uh, to be able to do what we what we are trying to do, and it requires us working at uh, 200% uh, seven days a week for the duration of the deployment, so it can take a toll on, on you physically um, and mentally. But do you have some time off between your deployments? We do, we do. We have uh, anywhere from three weeks to four weeks off uh, between each deployment, uh, during which time uh, we may uh, be asked to work on some maybe policy documents uh, for the headquarters, uh, attend uh, maybe some workshops or meetings around the globe. Uh, but usually we, we, we take three to four weeks rest between deployments. And how do you cope with the, uh, with the sacrifices that you're doing f- on your personal life? Um, my fiance also works in the sector, um, so it was a, a, a mutual agreement um, that you know I would I would work as a roving staff and she would be based uh, in, in other different countries for longer periods of time. Um, and it, the job is rewarding, um, you know, it's exciting and, and I, I enjoy doing it. So. Yeah, we do as best we can. Uh, try to communicate through, you know, WhatsApp or Skype uh, as often as possible, and then whenever we are off, we are off a hundred percent, and uh, we try to forget about uh, work for the periods uh, we are resting. And what it's like to work in the front line? You you mentioned uh, that you're currently in a situation where where it's like a. Not a war situation, but at least it's an uh, armed armed conflict in one way. Um, yeah, um, I, to me it's um, it's exciting. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, you know necessarily in in the front line in an open conflict, but uh, in the front line, uh, seeing what we are doing and how it is um, helping others, uh, and this is to me is what is what is very rewarding. Uh, is that I get to see firsthand why I do what I do um, or why we as a whole, I guess, the humanitarian uh, world do as a whole. And uh, I get to see the results uh, of our actions very quickly. Um, So, yeah, I I enjoy it a lot. But isn't it very difficult to see people suffering and and, um, to try to deal with the, uh, you know, make responses to that suffering it is um it is i don't want to say we ever get used to it because we don't and and one context is very different from the other um but it is something that as a humanitarian specialist um you are going to have to deal with uh and i think it requires uh mentally strong uh people uh, to be able to to work in these kinds of contexts, um, because misery is all around us, unfortunately, um, and some of the situations that people are in are not very easy to relate to. Um, so yeah, it's 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 hard, um, but then again, I keep uh, you know an open communication with my fiance and my circle of friends and families to be able to kind of take a step back from all of this uh, and not get uh, too sucked into it. Why did you become an aid worker? 
Ah, good question. Um, you know, I'm originally from Colombia, so growing up uh, in Colombia and witnessing firsthand um, the effects of the effects of the war between the guerrillas and the government uh, on the civilian population uh, made me want to help those affected by armed conflict. Um, and this was further, I guess, uh, confirmed. Um, in, in 1999, actually, it was on January 25th, 1999, and I remember it very clearly because it was it's my birthday. Um, there was this earthquake uh, in a city called Armenia, which is about two hours from where I lived in Cali. Um, and it resulted in the death of around 1,500 people and the displacement of about 200,000 um, and I remembered this very vividly in the news and, and, and in Colombia. And this, I, I, I guess, these two things uh, made me want to to get involved in this uh, type of work. And how did you get your first job? Um, it's not easy, um, unfortunately, to get into this. Uh, I guess this sector. Um, I first started with a six-month internship with Doctors of the World France in Paris uh, for my master's degree, uh, which unfortunately did not give me enough experience for, for you know, a first field deployment. Uh, so I then decided to enroll in a second internship. Uh, and this time it was with another French NGO called Solidarité Internationale. Um, and I was a finance and logistics assistant uh, for six months. And after this internship, uh, they offered me the opportunity of going to the field as an administrator and logistician um, to Maban, which is situated in Upper Nile State in South Sudan. Um, so that is how I got my first job in this sector. And your educational background, how did it help? Um, so I have a bachelor's of business administration in international business. Uh, a master's degree in crisis analysis and humanitarian action, and a postgraduate degree in water sanitation and hygiene in emergencies. Um, some people may ask, how did you end up going from, you know, international business administration to humanitarian action? That um, would be my next question, actually. Yeah, this was this was actually, I, th I believe, the reason why I was able to get that second internship as a finance and logistics um, assistant. Um, you know, during my bachelor's degree, we did look into finance, we looked at accounting, uh, we looked at logistics in business. But these are things that can also be applied to the humanitarian world. Um, so to me, that really was my entry point uh, into this sector. Um, was thanks to my Bachelor of Business Administration uh, in International Business. Um, afterwards, obviously, the master's degree helps uh, in a more general way uh, to, you know, be able to analyze different types of crisis and, and come up with uh, adequate responses. Um, and then it was actually after my first mission in South Sudan that I decided to go back to school and specialize in water sanitation and hygiene in emergencies. What is the most rewarding about your job, you would say? Um, I think it is, it's knowing that what I do is helping others in some way. Um, we don't have the answers to everything and we can't help everybody, but I'd like to believe that what I'm doing, what we are doing collectively, 
as humanitarian actors is helping vulnerable people in some way. And what is the most challenging about your job? Um, once again, uh, you know, not being with my fiance as much as I would like to, and the physical and mental toll that the job can take on you. Um, I think those would be, for me, the most challenging things uh, about my job. And how do you cope? Um, I mean, for being far from my fiance, there's not much other than Skype and WhatsApp. Uh, but once again, she works in the same sector. Uh, so it was a mutual agreement and, and we both understand, um, you know, that it's a sacrifice that we are both willing to make. And for the physical and mental part of the job, um, exercising as much as possible. Um, it's not easy to do so in certain locations um, where security is, is, is not optimal. Um, but, you know, trying to keep um, regular work hours, I would say, uh, not working too much, although it's, uh, it's almost impossible not to do so in emergencies. Um, but yeah, I would say physical exercise is, is the way I, I try to cope with all the mental and physical uh, toll this job takes on you. What was your best day at work? Um, there's a lot of them, um, but I would say it was probably the first day um, I accompanied an Ebola survivor outside of the confirmed patient ward uh, in the Ebola treatment center of Moyamba in Sierra Leone. Uh, I think that, to me, was, was one of the best days I've had at work so far. Can you explain a bit more? Um, so there was a, a very big Ebola epidemic in West Africa uh, back in uh, 2014, 2015. And uh, I was working at the time uh, as an infection prevention control manager uh, in an Ebola treatment center in Sierra Leone. Uh, and we were in charge of going inside of these wards where there were confirmed Ebola patients. Uh, we were in charge of all of the sanitation, of all of the water provision, uh, as well as accompanying patients from one ward to the other and accompanying those who survived Ebola and tested negative uh, after having tested positive. So... Um, yeah, it was the first time I ever uh, accompanied a person that had survived Ebola uh, outside of the confirmed war to, you know, back, I guess, to the open world, I would say. Um, yeah, that to me was probably one of the most rewarding days uh, at work. How did that feel? Um, you know, the... It's, I was happy for the person. Um, it's a lot of emotions, really, because um, Ebola is such a terrible disease and, and it ravaged West Africa. Uh, and to be able to, to participate, I say, uh, to the containment uh, and of, of, of the virus in, in Sierra Leone, um, is very rewarding and it's not always a happy ending because um, the survival rate for Ebola is, is very low. Um, so this felt like a, a little ray of sunshine in a otherwise dark, uh, I guess, world, uh, if I can say so. 
uh, to cope with all these things and and to be able to manage with that work that you're doing what the, what would you say is the most needed skill um flexibility and patience i would say um emergency response is is highly volatile and 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 not very easily predictable uh so you have to be extremely flexible and uh, expect the unexpected uh and this then only links to patients uh because you know we want to be able to work and respond as quickly as possible but unfortunately it's not always the case um so flexibility and patience i would say uh are the two most needed skills uh, to work in this sector You said earlier that the uh, the adaptability to new situations was was a, a challenge a challenging thing. Would that be also something that that uh, one would need? Yeah, and this to me comes with the flexibility um, part of it all. Um, moving from one country to another uh, requires you to to be flexible to adapt to all of these different contexts. Um, Like I said, once again, it's it's not easy and it's not uh, meant for everybody. Uh, others prefer spending uh, longer periods of time, up to years or several years in one country. Uh, and others like myself uh, prefer to, to move from one country to another more quicker. To those that would like to have a similar career as yourself or maybe even want to change career to go into this sector, What is your recommendations? What they should what should they do? Um I would say reach out to professionals in this field if you have any questions. Um there's many existing platforms where you can reach out to people uh that are professionals in this field if you have any questions. Um I would suggest also looking into the different type of um uh I guess um specialties that you can that you can work in in this sector like it's it's so vast uh you can do logistics finance human resources uh water sanitation and hygiene you can work in shelter health food security there's there's enormous possibilities in this sector and and I wish when I was starting that I had known all of these existed um So yeah, reach out, uh, ask questions, and um, keep at it. <laughs> and uh, for those who want to make an impact, what would you what would you say was your may biggest impact you have made so far in the sector? Um, I mean, it's uh, it's a difficult question. Um, I'd like to believe that, you know, all of the work we're doing, uh, every day has a small impact on different, uh, people's lives. Um, and, and it's not something that you can achieve on your own. Uh, there's always a team around you that supports you and, and, and that you are supporting as well. That makes things, um, you know, successful, I guess, in, in the different contexts. So Um, I don't know. I'd like to think that I've been making an impact, uh, however big or small it may be, since I've been working in the sector. Thank you very much, Jamie, for participating in the podcast and giving us all these uh, good insights and knowledge about your work. Yes, of course, Helen. No problem. The pleasure is all mine. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you got useful information on how to start a career in the sector. If you want more information or to look for a job with DRC, check out our website www.impactpool.org. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.